Tony and I spent a few days getting over jet lag and settling in. Emma was only three months old, and we had brought her nanny, Wendy, with us to help care for her during the five days a week that we would be working. On weekends, she could take time off, and we would have Emma to ourselves. I was still breastfeeding my baby, and I hoped to do so for as long as possible. I had a fair way to go to get myself back into post-pregnancy shape, so I was grateful that there would be a period of dance rehearsals before filming began. A few days after our arrival, I went with Tony to the Walt Disney Studios, located in Burbank. Tony and I had visited there once before, and we were again struck by the sunny ease of the place— the shady trees and beautifully manicured lawns upon which people relaxed or played table tennis during their lunch hour. Neatly arranged bungalow offices, several large sound stages, construction sheds, and a main theater were dominated by a much larger three-story structure known as the Animation Building. Walt's suite of offices was on the top floor, and below were airy workspaces where the artists and animators created their magic. We had lunch with Walt and his co-producer screenwriter Bill Walsh in the commissary, long recognized as the best in Hollywood for its great food and friendly atmosphere. Walt's persona was that of a kindly uncle, twinkly-eyed, chivalrous, and genuinely proud of all he had created. His international empire encompassed film, television, and even a theme park, yet he was modest and gracious. Our new friend Tom Jones once said to me that you didn't last very long at the company if you were mean-spirited or bad-tempered. I was provided with a car and driver for the first two or three weeks, but eventually the studio loaned me a vehicle of my own when it was assumed that I knew my way around. I was nervous about driving on the freeways and received guidelines. Stick to the right lane and get off at Buena Vista. Stay in the slowest lane. You don't need to cross lanes at all. Go dead straight until you come to your exit, etc. Being English, I'd never driven on a freeway or on the right-hand side of the road, and it definitely took some getting used to. My first weeks at the Walt Disney Studios were consumed with meetings and wardrobe and wig fittings. I was struck by the differences between preparing for a film role and preparing for a stage performance. For a play or musical, the first few days are spent in script readings and laying out the staging of the scenes. Measurements are taken, and you see costume sketches, but fittings generally don't happen until well into the rehearsal process. A film, however, is usually shot out of sequence and in very small increments. Blocking for any scene isn't addressed until the day of the shoot. It felt odd to be fitting costume elements and wigs for a role I had yet to portray, but to some degree, seeing those costumes helped me begin to formulate Mary's character. Walt had purchased the rights to the book, but not to Mary Shepard's illustrations, so Tony's costumes had to be completely original, yet still evoke the spirit of the characters that P.L. Travers had created. The time period of the film had been changed from the 1930s to 1910, as Walt felt that late Edwardian England would provide richer visual opportunities, and Tony agreed. 
I was awed by my husband's attention to detail, his choice of materials, colors, and accessories, like Mary's loosely hand-knitted scarf or her iconic hat with the sprightly daisy on top. While supervising my fittings, Tony pointed out hidden touches like the primrose or coral linings of Mary's jackets or her brightly colored petticoats. I fancy that Mary has a secret inner life, he explained, and when you kick up your heels, you'll catch a glimpse of who she is beneath her prim exterior. Tony also paid close attention to the wigs, making sure the color was right and that Mary's hair was softer and prettier for the scenes when she was out and about with Bert. This was all hugely insightful for me as I tried to wrap my head around Mary's character. What was her background? How did she move, walk, talk? Never having made a film before and having no specific acting training to fall back on, I was relying on instinct. I decided to try giving Mary a particular walk. I felt that she would never stroll leisurely, so I practiced on the soundstage, walking as fast as I could, placing one foot immediately after the other to give the impression of hardly touching the ground, the end result being that the children would find it difficult to keep up with her. I also developed a kind of turned-out stance, like a balletic first position, to punctuate the impression of Mary's character when flying. I recalled certain members of flying ballet troops from my vaudeville days who had simply let their feet dangle, and I always thought it detracted from the effect. In fact, most of Mary Shepard's original illustrations show Mary flying with somewhat droopy feet, although when she was on the ground, she was trimly turned out. I suddenly remembered that when I portrayed Eliza Doolittle in My Fair Lady on Broadway, I unconsciously towed in, giving the flower girl a slightly pigeon-toed lack of grace in her clumsy boots. Then I straightened my feet when she acquired confidence and poise as a lady. It made me smile to think I was doing the exact opposite for Mary Poppins. In addition to all the costumes, Tony designed the set for Cherry Tree Lane, which featured the exteriors of the Banks House, Admiral Booms, and several other townhouses. There were realistic cobblestones, blossoming trees, functional drains to carry away the rain on the pavement, and, of course, the facades of all the homes. Street lamps and windows glowed, brass doorknobs and letterboxes shone. Tony also designed all the interiors in the film. It was hard to believe this was his first film venture, and his work proved that Walt's instinct about his talent had been absolutely correct. Dance rehearsals soon began on the back lot at the studios. The film was being choreographed by the talented young husband and wife team of Mark Bro and Dee Dee Wood. Mark was tall and lithe and devastatingly good-looking. Dee Dee was strong and spirited with a great sense of humor. Though they had worked on Broadway, this was their first film, and I learned that Dick Van Dyke had recommended them to Walt, having worked with the couple on television. A huge tarpaulin had been rigged as a canopy for shade in the open air, and by the time I joined the rehearsals, the group of strapping young male dancers had already learned their choreography for the chimney sweep sequence, Step in Time. 
As Mark and Dee Dee put them through their paces and showed me how I would be integrated into the number, my jaw dropped. The two of them were much influenced by the famous choreographer Michael Kidd, who was known for his vigorous athletic style. There were somersaults, leaps, and other acrobatics using broomsticks and props. It was blazing hot under the heavy tarp, which, despite shading us, trapped the San Fernando Valley heat and smog. The male dancers stripped down to T-shirts and shorts, and none of them seemed even slightly winded. Being used to a more mild and dewy climate and having just delivered a baby three months earlier, I thought, will I ever come up with the necessary strength or energy to match them? Eventually, I recused myself and went into a cool studio each morning to limber up, plies at a ballet bar, stretches and so forth, which suited my scoliotic back and helped prevent injury. I finally began to get in shape again. It was during these dance rehearsals that I first met Dick Van Dyke. He was already well-established as a consummate comedian. He had starred in Bye Bye Birdie on Broadway and in the film and had completed the first two seasons of his famous sitcom, The Dick Van Dyke Show. We hit it off from day one. He was dazzlingly inventive, always in a sunny mood, and he often made me roar with laughter at his antics. For instance, when he began work on the Jolly Holiday sequence, the first step we learned was the iconic walk, arm in arm, our legs kicking up ahead of us as we traveled. I performed Mary Poppins' demure, ladylike version of the step, but Dick flung his long legs up so high that I burst out laughing. To this day, he can still execute that step. Dick's performance seemed effortless to me, although he did struggle with Bert's Cockney accent. He asked for help with it, so J. Pat O'Malley, an Irish actor who voiced several of the animated characters in the film, tried to coach him. It was a funny paradox, an Irishman teaching an American how to speak Cockney. I did my best to help as well, occasionally demonstrating the odd Cockney rhyming slang or a lyric from an old vaudeville song like I'm Henry VIII I am or any old iron. I don't know if it helped, but it was Dick's turn to laugh.